0: DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults is an adaptation of the Catholic Catechism. It serves as a resource for those who wish to become acquainted with Catholicism. It is an invitation for all the faithful to continue growing in the understanding of Jesus Christ and his saving love for all people. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor.
1: Chapter 3. Proclaim the Gospel to Every Creature handing on the faith. Blessed John XXIII, Pope from 1958 to 1963, believed that the Church needed a pastoral renewal that would enable the Church to minister more effectively to contemporary society. In this time, he sensed that new ways were needed to communicate Christian doctrine to reveal the inherent attractiveness of the Gospel while protecting its integrity. He said in his address to the bishops, at the opening of the Second Vatican Council in 1962. Christian doctrine should be guarded and taught more efficaciously. When he spoke about the Church's being the source of unity for all peoples, he based his teaching on Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior who prayed at the Last Supper, that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. In his opening address to the bishops on October 11, 1962, Blessed John XXIII explained his vision for the Second Vatican Council, the 21st Ecumenical Council. He proposed five points for achieving this goal. 1. Be filled with hope and faith. Do not be prophets of gloom. Divine providence is leading us to a new order of human relations, which by men's own efforts and even beyond their very expectations are directed toward God's superior and inscrutable design. Two discover ways of teaching the faith more effectively. The greatest concern of the Ecumenical Council is this, that the sacred deposit of Christian doctrine should be guarded and taught more efficaciously. 3. Deepen the understanding of doctrine. Authentic doctrine should be studied and expounded through the methods of research and the literary forms of modern thought. The substance of the ancient doctrine and deposit of the faith is one thing, And the way in which it is presented is another. 4. Use the medicine of mercy. Errors vanish as quickly as they arise, like fog before the sun. The Church is always opposed to these errors. Frequently, she has condemned them with the greatest severity. Nowadays, the spouse of Christ prefers to make use of the medicine of mercy rather than that of severity. She considers that she meets the needs of the present day by demonstrating the validity of her teaching, rather than by condemnation. 5. Seek unity within the Church, with Christians separated from Catholicism, with those of non-Christian religions, and with all men and women of goodwill. Such is the aim of the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council, which prepares, as it were, and consolidates the path toward that unity of mankind, where truth reigns, charity is the law, and whose extent is eternity. Pope John Paul II noted that the Second Vatican Council owes much to the immediate past. He wrote the following. The Second Vatican Council was a providential event. It is often considered as a new era in the life of the Church. This is true, but at the same time it is difficult to overlook the fact that the Council drew much from the experience of the immediate past, especially from the intellectual legacy left by Pius XII. In the history of the Church, the old and the new are always closely interwoven. Thus it was for the Second Vatican Council and for the activity of the popes connected with the council, starting with John XXIII, continuing with Paul VI and John Paul I, up to the present pope. Pope John Paul II, on the coming of the third millennium, Terzo Millennium Adveniente, number 18.
0: Welcome Archbishop Lucas.
2: Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you.
0: Chapter 3, Proclaim the Gospel to Every Creature.
2: Well, as this chapter begins with an account of, now blessed John the Twenty-Third deciding to convene the Second Vatican Council, and we read here the reasons that he gave for the need for the council and his hopes for how the council may bear fruit. We really hear the seeds being planted for what today is being called the new evangelization, because there was a realization on the part of the Holy Father that, that the church needed not new truths, at all, but a fresh way of speaking the truth and living the truth in the modern world. We're aware, you know, of the horrors of the first half of the 20th century that, that were experienced in so many places in the world, particularly in Europe, and so that was Blessed John XXIII's vivid memory of the immediate past and a sense that the effects of sin were being felt so profoundly in the modern world in some new and more horrible ways that there was the responsibility on the part of the church to bring the light of the gospel in a fresh and more vibrant way.
0: It was a dramatic moment in church history, this convening of Vatican II and its legacy, which is still very much the legacy of a newborn, isn't it?
2: Right, and the current Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, as did um, Blessed John Paul II, see, really have seen an, as an important part of their pontificates the uh, explication, we might say, of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council and mining those beautiful documents and the, the teachings of the council. Again, uh, we're very clear that there were not new truths that were taught by the council, but a fresh way, more challenging way, perhaps, for, uh, for us to both live and preach the truth in the modern world. And so the, some decades have gone by now, and challenges in some ways are more clear, some ways more formidable, uh, perhaps. But the, the current Holy Father stands you know, right on that foundation of the council, of which he was a part to be able to lead us into a future full of hope.
0: It's a wonderful moment to really take a look at how sacred tradition is passed on. There was a reason why the church felt this moment in time needed to occur, but it didn't transmit, as you just said, new truths. It just found ways of transmitting it that the culture could absorb more readily. Am I stating that too simplistic?
2: No, I think as we go back to our earlier discussion on Revelation, it's God's plan to speak to us and respond to us in the circumstances in which we live. He's not asking any of us to live in the past or to Mm -hmm. live in the future. And so now as the church has the particular responsibility from the Lord to transmit God's revealed truths, his saving plan for us in our current age, the church always looks for an understanding of how to do that most effectively. So the council was a dramatic moment, as, as a council always is, a dramatic moment of, of taking stock of the, both our times, trying to read the signs of the times, and then seeing what is it in our uh, sacred tradition, given to us by God, God's own revelation, that we can particularly offer to the world, not because it's going to be more easily received by the world, but because it's what the world needs to hear. What we have to continue to recall is that one of the predominant themes of the Council was a call to a personal renewal in faith for all of us in the Church. And again, as the Holy Father now talks about a new evangelization, we know that that's an essential part of what he's speaking of. So that we're not just looking for a way to package things to give to the world, but how can we become, first, more closely conformed to Christ so that we can proclaim him in a way that is believable, compelling in the modern age
0: when you look at the photographs of the gathering at Vatican II, of all those bishops gathered to ponder and to pray, just the questions that were brought forward and answered in that moment. Did it really start with those 12 that Jesus selected? I mean, there is that, that connection from that original 12 all the way to the, the bishops around the world, and that's a part of the sacred tradition.
2: And the sacred tradition of our faith is rooted in the apostolic tradition, in the relationship with Jesus and the apostles, in the truths that he communicated to them in his person and, and in his teaching, and then in the commission that he gave them to see that the truth is proclaimed in every place and in every age. And so we see that certainly the roots of that and a direct connection to it really in, in any gathering of bishops such as we would see at, a, at an ecumenical council. And as the bishops there, or as today, any of us who are teachers of the faith kind of wrestle with problems of the current age and try to ask ourselves, where are we going to find the answers to the questions that people are asking, or what's the response to the current challenges? We look to our tradition. We have no place else really to go, and we don't. there's no place else that we need to go. Not simply to repeat, in a, a rote way, things that were said or done in the past, but to mine our tradition for God's eternal truths, and then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, understand how we can express that living tradition in our own time and place.
0: There would be a gathering about three or 400 years after the time of Christ of bishops to come together to formulate the canon of sacred scripture that holy word that was proclaimed in the liturgy and and revealed the teachings of Jesus Christ the one who we are we've come to know and that gathering of bishops and ensuring that that sacred scripture which we now have in, in our bible we also hear proclaimed in our liturgy uh, that is an important moment for the life of the church wasn't it
2: oh, well it sure was and uh, a great example of the importance of the living tradition of the church guided uh, by the Holy Spirit. In our days we talk about uh, scripture and tradition as being two ways in which God's revelation is expressed in our time and place. But uh, the scriptures didn't just pop up out of the ground. Mm -hmm. They were inspired writings inspired by the Holy Spirit who used uh, human authors. But God is the, the divine author of scripture. But it was up to those who had the teaching office, the responsibility, To guard the sacred tradition of the church to name what were the divinely inspired books that would become part of what we now call the Bible or the the canon of scripture. Now we have the the benefit of that decision based on the, the living understanding of the church at that time and so we're able to approach the scriptures with confidence that they truly do express God's revealed truths.
0: A Meditation, found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults.
3: Go gladly to the sacred text itself, from the Second Vatican Council on the Bible. We forcefully and specifically exhort all the Christian faithful to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading of the Divine Scriptures. Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ, Saint Jerome. Therefore let them go gladly to the sacred text itself, whether in the sacred liturgy, which is full of the Divine Words, or in devout reading or in such suitable exercises and various other helps which, with the approval and guidance of the pastors of the church, are happily spreading everywhere in our day. Let them remember, however, that prayer should accompany the reading of sacred scripture, so that a dialogue takes place between God and man. Just as from constant attendance at the Eucharistic mystery, the life of the Church draws increase. So a new pulse of spiritual life may be expected from increased veneration of the Word of God.
0: It goes back to that chapter we discussed in our last episode about revelation. It's making sure that the authentic transmission of that revelation to future generations, to, and to our brothers and sisters who we encounter today, that it is what it appears to be. It has integrity.
2: We know what we think, and we have, as I say, this uh, built-in disposition to look for God and, and a quest for God, and in the basic sense, often of what's right and wrong. But what we need to know and what we need to learn and hear is what God is speaking to us. So we know what we can say, but it's important that we hear what God is revealing, and that we do hear that truly and in its integrity. It's a big part of the responsibility of the church that is instituted by Christ to express that revealed truth in every time and place. And so we do look to the the authentic teaching of the church for both the content and then the understanding, the interpretation of Revelation in our day.
0: Some of us are familiar with a term called fundamentalism. It's what we might perceive to be the literal understanding of the word, the words contained in Holy Scripture. There can be a danger in that, can't there, if it's not taken into context and there's a whole realm that we're dancing on the edge of if we didn't have that gift of sacred tradition.
2: Even though we're able and really encouraged to pick up the sacred scriptures and read them, to read the Bible ourselves, we read it in the context of the church. And it can have a very uh, personal message for us on a given day, but in a sense, not a private message. It's not my book to make of it what I wish. If I approach the scriptures with integrity, then I want to know what God is saying, Mm -hmm. not just... What I want to hear or what I think God should be saying. And because my uh, intellect is sometimes clouded, I can't just count on my own ability to, to understand that even from the words of, of Scripture. So we do reject an overly fundamentalist approach to the Scriptures, even in terms of our own private prayer and, and reflection. We uh, look to the church to help not only have the Bible, but also to understand what it's saying and, and what it's calling us to, who it's calling us to become.
0: The, the church would never desire for us not to have that personal encounter with Jesus in his word, but it does have aspects, as you just said, that in, it reaches out in many other areas, because if we know Jesus, and we've come to find him in his word, and we want to live that out, it can have ramifications in how we treat our neighbor, how we navigate in the culture, and it's important to know exactly what was transmitted by Jesus. That gives us that guidance, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, it certainly does. And, of course, it's another one of the great gifts of the Second Vatican Council to really call Catholics to a deeper knowledge and love of the sacred scriptures to incorporate them, the scriptures, more fully into our liturgical celebrations to encourage the study of, of the scriptures. We see so many people these days involved in scripture study, which is a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing, a great gift to the church, and I think a great enrichment in, in Catholic life. But as I say, we do that as always as those who are incorporated into the body of Christ. And I can't say, you know, I'm a Catholic in this aspect, but I'm, you know, taking the scriptures to my room and I'm just going to make these whatever I wish them to be. We can, though, encounter the person of Jesus and look to do that when we read the scriptures personally, meditatively. But as you say, in terms of our actions, in terms of how we teach, uh, what we perhaps call others to, to do or to teach in, in the church, that all needs to be subject to the church's understanding of the full beauty of a scripture that's in the context of our tradition.
0: How that study is undertaken is even addressed in Chapter 3 of the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. It talks about historical reductionism. That's something that the the church is even standing up to say, wait a minute, we must be careful about how we look at the scriptures.
2: That's right. We don't want to be too mechanical in either our uh, use of the scriptures and teaching our understanding of how the scriptures are to be interpreted. We have wonderful tools that have been given to us over the last 150 years or so in terms of approaching an understanding of the time and place in which the various parts of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, may have been been written, and and understanding the literary forms and and so forth. And, And the Church has really embraced those in our scripture study and encouraged us to look at all that. But ultimately, we must continue to come back to the fact that Jesus Christ, God's living word, is the key to interpreting everything in the Scripture, Old Testament and and New Testament. We understand, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church invites us to recognize that there are are a number of senses that we see in the Scripture, spiritual senses particularly, that help us understand, both in our private reflection but also in the Church's teaching, how we might uh, use the Scripture to authentically proclaim the truth of of God's revelation, of God's saving plan for us. And it's worth looking at that carefully, I think, in this chapter for those who will have a, a copy of it that there uh, is a a literal sense of Scripture always, but then because of our faith and with the eyes of faith, we read it with these other more spiritual senses as well.
0: Mm. It goes back to that proclamation, doesn't it, of Scriptures in the very beginning, in the liturgy. I mean, that's how the early church would have experienced that word. It was a gift from the church to the people so that their faith can be enhanced and not detracted from Am I overstretching on
2: that one? No, I mean more, I'm not stretching it enough. In fact, I think we, we know that we meet Jesus Christ personally in His Word, in the Scripture. We meet the, the living Word, the Person, the incarnate Word of of God in the words of Scripture. So Scripture is more than a tool for getting the message out or for communicating truths. It does that very beautifully and in some beautiful literary forms. But in all of that, if we approach it with faith, we meet Christ. That's why the, the scriptures are, are such an important part of the, of the Eucharistic liturgy, for example. It begins with the liturgy of the word, and we already welcome Christ in a very personal way in the proclamation of the sacred scriptures and in the homily, where the church herself teaches us what Jesus would have us hear and, and know from that revealed word. And then, of course, that leads us to the altar where we have this profound personal encounter with, with the risen Lord in the Holy Eucharist.
0: We today are being revitalized in our appreciation of the word in the liturgy.
2: Sure, there's a renewed emphasis on something that we've had all along, of course, and the scriptures were always present but just in a matter of a verse or two, often when the sacraments were celebrated, but now the fuller texts of the sacred scriptures are read at the time of the celebration of the sacraments or at the time that blessings are given or both liturgical and paraliturgical services in in our Catholic faith make better, richer use of the sacred scripture. Again, we had never gotten away from it exactly, but it wasn't, in our catechetical efforts, certainly wasn't emphasized so much. So again, here I think we see a beautiful balance in these decades now after the Second Vatican Council, um, an encouragement for us to not only make use of the scriptures in our liturgy, but, but in our personal prayer and to study the, the scriptures because, when, um, as St. Jerome said, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. So the, the opposite of that is the more that we're familiar with the scriptures, the more we're, we're familiar with Christ. But then also, alongside of that, the publication of the Catechism,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which uh, uh, expresses the, the church's uh, tradition. And makes great use of, of scripture. There are many scripture quotes in the in the Catechism of the, of, of the Catholic Church, but I think we you know we sometimes go through uh, phases in our catechetical efforts where we put all this emphasis on scripture, maybe all on the all on the Catechism, and really the the scripture and the tradition exist side by side. They're, they're both part of the, the treasury of the, the Church's life, and in both we find God's revealed truth and an understanding, deeper understanding of how to share that that revealed truth in in our time and place.
0: Again, there's that word reveal, and ultimately that revelation is a a quest, a desire to be known and to have relationship. And so really, from what I'm hearing as you break this open for us, is that it's in all things, it's prayer. In the study, in the reading, in the the pondering, in the celebrating, it, it all ultimately becomes this great moment of prayer.
2: And of course, this belt catechism that we're looking at has an opportunity for prayerful reflection in in each of the chapters. And one of the major pillars of the catechism of the Catholic Church, as we know, is prayer, the the fourth pillar. So ultimately, both this catechism that we're looking at and and the larger one end up there. And of course, it doesn't mean we just end up there. We, We start there, too. Anybody who really wants to uh, has a desire for a, a deeper knowledge of God's revelation, wants to be more open and receptive to be able to have what, what God is offering us and to uh, to live it, there's no better place to start than prayer. And even if we feel that our prayers are kind of puny and we don't know how to pray very well, God's very clear to us that all of our prayers are heard, and the most humble ones may be heard, heard the loudest. And then, of course, after we've studied the, the scriptures or, or studied an aspect of of our sacred tradition, it's great then to bring that to our prayer, to give thanks to God for revealing his saving plan to us and to pray for the ability, the will, the desire to to accept it and to to live it.
0: A prayer, found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults.
2: From St. Augustine's Confessions, let your scriptures be my chaste delight, O Lord, perfect me and reveal those pages to me. See your voice is my joy. Give me what I love. May the inner secrets of your words be laid open to me when I knock. This I beg by our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These are the treasures I seek in your books.
0: So in this journey through the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, we really have uh, the, the opening chapter acknowledging and affirming that quest that's in our hearts to be known. And God, who wants to be known and s- is seeking us, then we are shown that in his revelation there is the attempt to break through into our hearts, and then in this chapter, how we can begin to seek him confidently in integrity, authentically, uh, through the scriptures and how those are formed. So it's, it's a really quite a, a beautiful synthesis that the Catechism is taking us through.
2: It's true, and I think we're now at the point where we begin to see that uh, those of us who have the blessing of the Catholic faith and who have been living it have the confidence that we do receive God's revelation through both the scriptures and and the tradition of our faith. And again, it's spoken to us now right here where we live in the circumstances of our present day that it can be embraced here and, and lived.
0: There's so much more, and even in the conversations that we're having, we can't even begin to possibly touch all the different roads in which each chapter takes us. So I mean, would you say we should highly encourage folks to pick up a copy of the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults? It, it should be in every Catholic home, shouldn't it?
2: Well, I think so, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I hope our visits about these various chapters will encourage people to do just that, and, and to maybe look for uh, ways that, even in, in group settings, The catechism might be helpful for people who have been lifelong Catholics, but also maybe in our CIA programs or in other study groups where people who very much have the faith and love it uh, want to continue to grow and and to have a a deeper experience of, of God's love for us in Christ.
0: Well, this will be the, uh, well, just the opening of our discussions about scripture, because as in most Catholic experience, it is interwoven part of the makeup of our lives. And so we'll be hearing more and more about that. Any final thoughts on the closing of sacred tradition in this discussion?
2: I think we recognize what a, what a great gift, and we say this very humbly, that, that we have in our Catholic faith. With the the teaching office, the magisterium, given to Jesus first to the apostles and that passed down from them through the Holy Father and the bishops in every age, to have the confidence that uh, in the teaching of our faith and in our proclamation and understanding of the sacred scriptures, we uh, are meeting Christ himself, hearing his voice in our time and place, and have really a a pearl of great price to share with our brothers and sisters in in our neighborhoods, in in our families, uh, in our current culture.
0: Thank you so much, Your Excellency. Thank you. You've been listening to The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. To learn more about The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, go to usccb.org, the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas.